0: This is Valley Edition. I'm Kathleen Schock. The Central Valley's reputation as an affordable place to live has been challenged thanks to skyrocketing housing prices. To learn what is behind the sharp increase in home and rental prices and what this means for the ongoing affordable housing crisis, I spoke with Amber Crowell, Associate Professor of Sociology at Fresno State, Manuela Tobias, Housing Reporter for CalMatters, Emma De La Rosa, policy advocate with the Leadership Council, and Ian Sharples, housing program manager for the Community Action Partnership of Kern. Manuela, I'd like to start with you. You've done some absolutely fascinating reporting for CalMatters on why the Central Valley has become such a booming housing market. Can you briefly explain just what the heck is going on? Basically,
1: the Central Valley is experiencing the same types of issues that we're seeing across the state uh, when it comes to housing, which is um, an issue of not enough supply um, for the demand that there is. Looking specifically at Fresno County, which my co-host Liam Dillon at the LA Times uh, on our podcast, Any Shelter, looked at specifically, um, found that the median home in Fresno is now at $331,000 and rent uh, for an average apartment is at 1400, which is a 60% increase since 2017, which is a huge, huge spike. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of them being this issue of the supply of housing not keeping up with um, population growth. So Fresno actually saw more people in 2020 um, than previously, whereas some other cities have been losing population during the pandemic. Uh, One of those reasons potentially being um, fleeing higher cost areas like the Bay Area. Another one is larger property management uh, buying up the limited supply of housing and jacking up rents, which signals to other housing providers that price range is okay. And just overall, this um, shortage of low income specifically housing. Um, A recent study found that there was more than 36,500 low-income renter households who didn't have access to an affordable home, which means that they could spend less than 30% of their gross income on housing. And that's only going up. So we see some new housing coming online, but not at the price rates that People can afford and uh, wages just not keeping up with the price of housing.
0: You know, Amber, you know, given your work as a sociologist at Fresno State, I know you're, you're following the housing markets closely. Can you expand on this tension that the Valley is experiencing with housing cost rising, but wages staying fairly stagnant?
2: There is this misconception that the Central Valley is affordable but really it's never been that affordable for the folks who live here. We have such high rates of poverty. Wages aren't increasing at the same pace that housing costs are. And so that was a problem even before the market had this giant surge. And so what we're seeing is that problem that was already an issue in the Central Valley. And, you know, I'm thinking specifically of Fresno, but it's extending beyond Fresno as well, just getting that much worse. And so, we had a 35,000-unit shortfall in previous years, and so that is a problem that's only going to get worse as we see our housing prices go up. Um, we see the wrong kind of housing being built. It's not affordable housing. And that's going to have ripple effects for low-income communities, not just would-be home buyers, but renters who are going to see their rents go up as well. So recent reports are saying that Fresno has the fastest-rising rents in the country, and this is in a severely rent burdened
0: area already. So it's a lot of problems getting worse. So I'd like to shift our focus down to the South Valley. Uh, Ian and Emma, you both work in that area. And, and Ian, I'm going to start with you. Is, mm-hmm. is the Bakersfield market seeing sort of similar trends to what's happening in Fresno?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We've been having vacancy rates hover around 1% for the past three or four years. During the pandemic, it's gone it's below 1% uh, on several occasions, which to me indicates that there simply isn't enough housing at all levels, but particularly affordable housing. So the issue of people moving in from other higher cost areas uh, has definitely been exacerbated. We had in-migration from, from the coastal areas before the pandemic, but After the switch that a lot of companies made to remote work, uh, it was suddenly much more viable for people with, say, coastal-level salaries to move into the Central Valley.
0: Emma De La Rosa, uh, you're a policy advocate with the Leadership Council. Let's put this crisis into perspective of the ongoing issue with the pandemic. Obviously, there was an eviction moratorium that kept people in their homes, but that moratorium has lifted. What does that mean for Kern County?
4: Right. Yeah, going back to Ian's point about the low vacancy rate, um, even throughout the moratorium, we were getting calls from residents who were looking for a place to live, and they were calling multiple apartments, and they were not able to get through to, to any. There weren't any available apartments. So even though the moratorium was in place, we were still seeing evictions happening. And some of the reasons why, according to the residents, was because the owners wanted to sell their homes, or they wanted to make changes to their, to their houses. And so uh, we saw, again, that, you know, again, regardless of the moratorium, folks are being evicted and that the vacancy rate is, is low. And on top of that, the uh, rents continue to increase. So um, now that the moratorium is over, we are advocating to the county to streamline the emergency rental assistance program process because a lot of folks who have applied in March are just barely receiving the funds. And we are seeing a gap between folks who apply online and folks who apply with the paper application. When someone who applies with the paper application submits it, they have to take it into the office. And at that point, someone at the office has to enter into the system, and then it has to be assigned to a caseworker. And then from there, it has to be reviewed by the caseworker. And then it has to go through the fraud prevention and then finally, it gets approved or um, denied by the supervisor. We're seeing uh, about maybe two to three weeks um, until the paper application actually gets entered into the system. Um, and now that again, that the moratorium is over, we just uh, we have to we have to make sure that this application process um, takes no longer than a month. I would say um, to ensure that folks are receiving the funds. Landlords are, you know, they're just waiting to. Um, at least some of the conversations that I've had with residents and owners are just waiting to be able to evict folks. Um, and so that's one of our main priorities right now is to again streamline the, the application process.
0: So I know it's hard to predict what the future holds, but if you could just elaborate a little bit more on what do you anticipate that process is going to look like? I mean, are we on the verge of a true crisis in terms of people being forced out of their homes?
4: You know, going back to the Cal Matters report, that Manuela wrote, um, the evictions during the moratorium was about 380 here in Kern County, right? So we can only expect that the mor- with the moratorium I ended mean, that the evictions will continue to increase. Right now, the the law AB 32 requires that the landlords show proof that they supported the residents with the rental assistance, or that the uh, tenant provides proof that they've applied. Another issue that we're seeing is that not everyone gets a receipt of um, a submitted application. So it does um, include, our work right now does include um, community education to make sure that folks know to to ask the housing authority for that receipt. Otherwise, you know, they're kind of left waiting for two, three weeks, maybe even months uh, to be able to prove that they've applied. And as soon as they apply, that does put a pause in the eviction um, process, but again, you know, there's a lot of procedural challenges that we're seeing that are going to have a huge impact in in people's lives.
0: And, And so then coming back to Manuela, you've written about how particularly immigrants who do not speak English face some of the biggest obstacles when it comes to receiving assistance or receiving relief. Where does that population stand in this, in this moment as, as these moratoriums are lifting?
1: Yeah. So, um, recently wrote a story on the language data that the state has been collecting on applicants for rent relief and found that more than 86 percent of applicants reported that their primary language was english whereas other data that experts have collected from the census for example say that low-income renter households uh, about 50 percent of them speak english the uh, about a third of them speaking Spanish, um, which are much more underrepresented in in the stats that we're getting um, from the state about applications coming in. So one of the the reasons um, could be related to translations of, of the application, uh, paper applications as well. But a big issue is just with communication of this assistance existing, and that also translates to awareness overall about these eviction protections being there in the first place. and so one of the reasons that we found in this report about evictions ongoing even even with this so-called eviction ban uh, throughout the pandemic was uh, the 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 struggle to reach for for many uh, renter households in uh, particularly immigrant renter households, to be aware um, that these protections exist and really be able to rely on a legal system that wasn't really built for them. And it's much harder to to sort of access when you might not speak the language or know um, what exactly a, a tenant's rights are. So it is possible that uh, what we're seeing so far is that the uneven impacts of the pandemic are only being amplified when it comes to accessing eviction protections or even rent relief. This is
0: Amber. Amber if
1: it's okay, I'd like to add to
2: that. Well, I just want to add to what Manuela is lifting up there about accessing legal protections and point to the policy failure of 1487, which uh-huh. Governor Newsom um, just declined to to pass. Uh-huh. So that would have funded legal protection, legal legal representation for tenants across California. And without that, what we're seeing, what we're going to see are folks who may be protected by the law, who may be eligible for rental assistance, but aren't aware of it, don't know how the laws protect them, and they don't have access to attorneys who can help them navigate the legal process when they do get that eviction notice. Those are things also that we saw before the pandemic. In our study of Fresno, we found that only 1% of tenants had legal representation in eviction court, which is a major problem because most most landlords do have attorneys. And so it's a very uneven process where tenants enter the courtroom by themselves up against attorneys who are representing landlords and know exactly how to use the laws. So here we are with the eviction moratorium ending. There are some pretty complicated protections that could work, but if folks don't know how they're protected by them and they don't have attorneys to help them navigate the process, it's not as effective as it could be. And so this is, has implications, especially for non-English speakers who have this added layer of vulnerability uh, and access to, to
0: the resources that they need. Well, Amber, I'll stick with you. In the city of Fresno, they have, the mayor has announced that they are going to extend the moratorium likely through the end of the year. How much do you anticipate that will help at least uh, folks in the city of Fresno?
2: I think it'll it'll help. It will definitely help. It has been helping to have a moratorium in place. There are certainly evictions still happening, but not at the volume that they were without any protections in place. Uh, So that'll go a long way towards helping folks who live in the city of Fresno. But for people who live outside of the city limits, they are basically on their own at this point, which is a problem for our low income renters who live in rural communities or live just outside of Fresno they don't have access to those same protections.
0: And uh, Emma, given your work as a policy advocate with the leadership council down in, in Kern County, is that what you're seeing?
4: Right, here in Kern County, unfortunately, our um, elected officials in the county and the city did not pass any type of local protections. And now um, they're not real, they're not able to, to pass anything um, to, to help the residents. In the beginning of the pandemic, we w- were asking them to use CARES funding for rental assistance and for right to counsel. And unfortunately, we had the door shut in our faces. And so um, at this point, it's just difficult because um, we're not seeing the support or the response from the county supervisors or the city council members to help community members. Um, and now with the rents um, increasing, uh, you know, I highly push our elected officials to start considering uh, other policies that will ensure that the rents will um, stay affordable or, you know, bring the rents down to ensure that folks can stay housed. You know, Ian earlier mentioned that there's just not enough affordable housing and that's correct. And that's reflected on the regional housing needs allocation. We are consistently seeing that the city and the County are building way more um, moderate to high income um, housing um, in comparison to the to the low income and very low income housing, so that's that's something else, uh, another policy avenue that we need to start discussing and that we need to start enforcing. Counties and cities they both need to start building more affordable housing and implementing policies that are going to lead to more affordable housing.
0: So, Ian Sharples, uh, in addition to your work with the Community Action Partnership of Kern, you're also a board member of the Income. Property Association of Kern. And, and you've said publicly yeah. that y- you don't anticipate that the wave of evictions is going to be quite as overwhelming as, as some fear. How have you come to that conclusion?
3: Yeah. So I've been looking at various, you know, research uh, and data on this. You know, I think it's reasonable to fear a, a sort of eviction tsunami. But I think from what I've seen from uh, certain studies, Uh, in particular one commissioned by the California Apartment Association. Renters in general have fared better during the pandemic than was maybe initially expected back in March of 2020, uh, which to me is good news. But I think, you know, there's definitely going to be probably some sort of spike of pent-up evictions from the past year or so, but it's probably not going to be as bad as initially anticipated. So that's, I think where we're at right now is hopefully there's there's fewer evictions. I know when I was working with the Income Property Association, Kern, you know, from the landlord's perspective, they just want to get paid, so they're trying to figure out how to get get in on the rental assistance as well. At least uh, most of them are.
4: This is Emma. I was just going to add something really quickly. Oh yes, please, Emma. Yeah, I was just going to say that the numbers that we see reflected on, on documents may not always be the most accurate considering the self-evictions that happen. Uh, here in Kern County, we've received calls from folks who are maybe renting rooms or are just uh, maybe like living in a, in a converted garage. And, um, you know, they get the notice and from their landlord and they think that that's the final say. And so folks are are leaving because of that. And so I think it's important to consider all of the unreported evictions that are happening.
3: Yeah, this is Ian. I would I would definitely agree with what uh Emma is mentioning there. Um one of the big issues we found is that it's difficult to serve uh folks who are, you know, maybe don't have a formal lease because, you know, we have documentation requirements where we need to to obtain the lease to verify, you know, the information for the client and the landlord. So if there's, you know, somebody who's renting a room from a family member or is subleasing from somebody you know, because of the documentation requirements, that's much more difficult to serve, and so I think we need to be paying more attention to that and trying to figure out creatively uh, how we can serve, you know, people who have less formal living situations.
0: So, Amber, you know, we had you on Valley Edition more than a year ago uh, dis- to discuss the affordable housing sh- shortage in the Valley and and how the pandemic was exacerbating or, or maybe exposing the extent of the crisis. And, you know, back then we talked about policy changes that could uh, create some form of of a substantial, a definitive solution for, for this crisis. You know, I wonder if a year later, after having, you know, these issues become so apparent, do you think that perhaps there is more political will to address the affordable housing crisis from a, from a policy perspective?
2: I certainly think it's hard to gauge political will because this was a crisis that has been looming for a long time. And I'm not entirely sure that our elected leaders are really at that point where they're ready to take action. Um, But I know that there are more conversations around it. So we're seeing seeing state legislation passing that's, you know, trying to end some of our exclusionary zoning practices. And there are definitely more conversations happening among legislators and elected leaders about the affordable housing crisis. I don't know if we're really at the point where anyone's ready to push anything though. Um but there are definitely there's more talk. So I think that's as much as I can I can say. You know, we've yeah, advocates have been pushing for solutions, so the will there that's always been there, and it seems sometimes that we're still really fighting uphill to to get some of the solutions that we see as necessary to uh, be brought to the table where decisions get made.
0: Manuel, I'd like to give you the last word. You know, given your your work uh, covering housing in California. What do you think the future holds in terms of addressing the affordable housing crisis from a policy level?
1: Tough question. Um, I think that there definitely um, is a lot more focus. Um, right now, uh, cities are across the state are entering this uh, planning phase to plan for uh, the housing at all income levels. That is needed to accommodate the current and future population. And I think that that is key issue to keep our eyes on uh, when it comes to actually addressing these shortages of affordable housing and of uh, housing at different income levels that is needed. Um, I think that's definitely one area where cities and the state are going to have to come together and really um, plan for and build the housing that the population demands. Uh, And I think it's going to also take addressing all of these uh, different issues, whether it comes to landlords and tenants needs at the court and seeing how the economic needs that COVID has exposed uh, really play out. I did want to add as well that the rent relief, um, which is available on housing is key, is available for people with informal leases or people renting out just one room, and it's also available for uh, people with undocumented status. The um, What we're trying to track and have been asking the state for information on is how successful those applications have actually been because what we want to keep an eye on as well is the growing homelessness crisis and keep an eye on how much of an effect uh, potential addictions might have on on growing the number of unhoused individuals across the state.
0: I want to thank all of you for taking the time to, to bring us up to speed on, on what's happening. And, and, and for those of you who are on the ground doing this you know, important advocacy work, thank you so much. I've been talking with Manuela Tobias, Housing Reporter for Cal Matters, Amber Kroll, Associate Professor of Sociology at Fresno State, and Regional Housing Coordinator for Faith in the Valley, Emma De La Rosa, Policy Advocate with the Leadership Council, and Ian Sharples, Housing Program Manager for the Community Action Partnership of Kern. Thank you all for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you.